0: Father, I, I pray, O oh God, that we would truly believe that, that the deep, deep love of Jesus is all we need and is all we trust. God, not that we loved you so greatly, it's that you loved us and came and died for us. And in that, O oh Lord, we rejoice. That's why we we gather together. So would would pray, O oh God, that today the, the fruit of my message would be a love from you that spills out towards other people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, love is in the air. It was uh, Valentine's Day just a a few days ago on uh, February 14th, a day in our our church, our calendar, not even our church calendar, our secular calendar when we as a, a nation celebrate romantic love. And uh, that's done several different ways. It's done by flowers, perhaps, or candy, or cards, or notes, or perhaps dinner out, even as a a custom, a common occurrence. Uh, The day is named after St. Valentine. Don't know if you know much about him. I didn't know much about him until this week. He was a a priest and bishop in the third century uh, AD, ministered to persecuted Christians, and was martyred, put to death. His Christian faith on February fourteenth, two hundred and sixty nine A.D. And then several hundred years later, Galerius, Pope Galerius, declared a feast day in honor of Saint Valentine. But it was only until the fourteenth century <clears throat> began in the fourteenth century when, when Chaucer, the great writer of poems and and tales, medieval uh, chivalrous literature, when he 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 brought up the idea of Valentine and combining him with love. It was not the 1700s when England began celebrating, much like we do today, with with gifts of candy and flowers and and love notes. The only difference today is that our handwritten notes have been transformed by mass-produced Hallmark cards, which, of course, Hallmark is very happy about. But it's a holiday that we as a church can fully embrace. Um, we think about romantic love is, is lifted up in the Bible. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible devoted to romantic love. That's the, the Song of Solomon. It was a husband and wife demonstrating their love towards one another. And um, I trust many of you celebrated the holiday a few days ago in, in your own way. Well, this morning we're going to talk about love. But we're not talking about romantic love. We're talking about Christian love. The, the love that Christians are called to have for others. It comes from Romans chapter 13. So if you haven't opened there and turned there, I invite you to do that. Romans 13. We just have three verses we're looking at today. Next week we're going to finish this chapter 11 through 14. But today we have these verses on love. just want to read them and, and listen, listen for love as I read them. Owe oh, no one anything except to love each other <clears throat> for the one who loves... Another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in the word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I trust you can see just how how often love is mentioned in the passage. It's mentioned five times in these three verses. It's twice there in verse 8, once in verse 9, and twice in verse 10. Appropriately, the title of my message this morning is Christian love. It's what's being talked about here in Romans 13. I have two points. The first is this, that love is our moral obligation. Love's our moral obligation. It comes right there in verse 8, where Paul writes, "O no one anything except to love each other we have a moral obligation to love now paul in writing this goes into the realm of finances and the imagery there the imagery of borrowing and lending and debts and obligations he says in regards to others right you should have no debt to one another except your debt to love others now, there are some who would take this verse simplistically and, and say that you should never go into financial debt. It's always wrong. You shall owe no one to anything. They simply read that and, and conclude that based on a partial phrase of a, of a verse in Scripture. And uh, one of the biggest difficulties of this is that, that it, it, when you take the entire table of the Bible into account, you realize that the Bible nowhere speaks of debt as a sinful, immoral thing. In fact, there are places where God encourages lending. For instance, the Sermon on the Mount, Romans five forty two, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is telling if someone begs or borrows, you give it to them. You lend to them. It's okay for them to be in your debt. If financial debt was morally wrong, Jesus would never have encouraged us to lend to others. In fact, um, the parable of the talents, the master commended those who would have uh, lent out their money. Maybe you remember that the parable of the talents is when the, the master gave different sorts of financial talents, is what they're called, but gave finances to people, and the, and the one who had 10 produced 10 more, and the one with five produced five more, and the one with one took it and dug it in the ground and gave his master back what he had, and listen to what... This master said, he said, you wicked and slothful servant, you ought to have invested my money with a bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. In this case, not not gaining interest was viewed as the evil thing. Not using your money wisely to give and gain the interest. If you go back to the Old Testament, lending to others was encouraged in the law, especially as a means of helping others. I need to uh, okay. I'm all right. Uh, Deuteronomy fifteen, seven and 8. If anyone among you, one of your brothers, should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Right? So if someone... I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you. <clears throat> so if someone's in debt, someone's in need... You are free to give to them to help them accomplish what it is they need to do, or financially they're they're constrained. I don't think the law would have encouraged this if it was financially and if it was morally wrong to be in financial debt. The Lord would not be encouraging you to lend to others. If it was evil for them, sinful for them to go into debt. Now that doesn't mean that debt is good. In fact, debt brings a lot of hardship. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Master-slave relationship here. If you're in debt, you're a slave. You're a slave to the one who is lending you the money. You labor for them. You labor to pay them back for what they have given to you. And if you don't pay back, the master is going to come looking for you. If you don't pay back your mortgage the bank will pay, will foreclose on your house. If you don't pay back on the loan of your car, the bank will repossess your vehicle. If you don't pay back your credit card, you'll be contacted by the debt collectors who will come after you. It's because you are their slave. They are over you. It's because when you're in debt, you don't own those things. The master does until you've paid them in full. It's only when you pay them in full that the master releases his control, but in that time you are a slave, and that's not good. And there's a, there's a burden that debt can carry, a bondage. And I've heard enough testimonies of people who've worked their way out of debt, and one of the things they speak about is the immense freedom that it brings when they finally get out of debt. My simple counsel you do is this, just pay your debts, first of all. David's counsel, Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. So the wicked is the one who holds, doesn't pay back, but the righteous is generous, he gives, he pays back. So pay your debts. In fact, that's why the NIV translates this verse, right? Uh, Romans 13, 8, if you have an NIV in in your lap, let no debt remain outstanding Except continuing the debt you have to love one another, right? In other words, don't, don't leave it outstanding, but just keep paying it. Keep paying it. And pay your, your debts. And don't be like the wicked one who borrows and doesn't pay back. And, and I just say this, real simple, right? Pay your debts as quickly as you can. Get that burden off your back. You read, you've read uh, Pilgrim's Progress before? Christian's around there with a big burden on his back, and he's like, why are you walking around with that burden? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. When he looks to the cross, he is, is rid of it. Make sacrifices, live a simpler lifestyle, take on a second job. Get yourself in a position where you can be a giver. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But that's not what Romans 13 is talking about. It's more of a, a sidelight just to talk, about, to talk about debt a little bit. Romans 13 verse 8 is not talking about financial debt. And, and I say that because of the context. The context, he's not been talking about finances in Romans 12 and 13. He's been talking about relationships. He's been talking about serving others. Just even, even look back there in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. As, as we have gifts that differ according to grace that's given to us, let us use them. Let us serve one another. That's what he's talking about in chapter 12. He gives us a picture of body life. Um, He's talking about loving others, a theme he's going to return to here in chapter, in our text, chapter 13, verse 8, but in chapter 12, verse 9, look what he says. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, and love one another with brotherly affection. So he's talking about loving other people. Right there in verse 10, he's talking about honoring other people. He's talking about serving the Lord. He serves the Lord by serving others and by helping others. He says in verse 13 about giving, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. That's loving strangers. He's been talking about rejoicing and weeping with others, verse 15, right? Caring so deeply with others that your emotions are invested in their emotions. If they're weeping, you're weeping. If they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing. That's what Paul has been talking about. He's talking about walking in humility with one another, chapter 12 and verse 16, live in harmony with others one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Be with the lowly. Be with the humble. He's talking about doing good to others. Romans 12, verse 21. And here then in chapter 13, he's dealt with the issue of justice, and then he comes down to how you need to submit to the authorities and how you need to honor them. Verse 7, pay to all what's owed. Maybe there's some financial things, but that's honoring those who are above you, right? The, the governmental authorities. You need to give to them and honor taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. And then it comes back again. The, the bottom line of that is respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. He's talking about personal relationships all through Romans and 12. And I don't think here in 13, all of a sudden he's shifting just with this one little statement says, oh, no man, anything. I don't think that points out that you should not be in debt in any way. But I I do think that it speaks about our moral obligation. If you're in debt, you have an obligation, a financial obligation. And we all are in debt. debt. We have a debt of love to pay for one another, to one another, the debt of love. And just as the wicked borrows but does not pay back, so also the one who does not love others is wicked you have a moral obligation to love. And your obligation extends far and wide. I believe, and I'll show, you, that it, this extends to everyone. Your obligation to love extends to everyone. Of course, you start with your inner circle, right? Those you're closest with. Your, your spouse, your family, your brothers and sisters. And then the responsibility to love go, goes out more, which is to your church family, um, extended family, maybe church community at large, or it goes, goes out there. The, the circle's of responsibility, though, extends larger. I, I believe it extends outside of the church. Just as he's talking here in verse 7 about giving respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed, to the civil authorities, uh, I think also that when it comes to love, they deserve our love as well. Now, of course, right, your love for your family is going to be different than the love for your teller at the bank, right? <laughs> right? You're not You're not going to, to love them in the same way that you love your family. You don't even know them, it's particularly strangers. Like, how can you love strangers? Like, you don't even know their names or the, or the, whatever, the person checking you out at Best Buy. You're like, you don't even know these people. How are you supposed to love them? Well, didn't Paul tell us in chapter 12, verse 13 to love strangers. That's what hospitality means. Hospitality fundamentally means loving strangers, and the greatest way to do that is bringing the strangers into your world and your home. You need to love those who are checking you out at the store. And your love for your closest friends are going to be different than your love for your enemies. You probably spend more time with your closest friends than you will with your enemies. But didn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies? Matthew 5, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus then continued, he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles Do the same? In in other words, right? If you're going to be different, if you're going to live this Sermon on the the Mount sort of life, your love should be different. You should be loving your enemies. Don't just be like everyone else in the world. Everyone else in the world loves their friends. But our call is to love our enemies. And that's one of the reasons why I've said our our love here, our moral obligation to love is far and wide. But our moral obligation to love here is also deep and never-ending. It's the idea of how Paul exhort us to love in this verse. It's the idea of, "owe no one anything except to love each other. When it comes to loving others, you have a debt that is never, ever paid. It's like falling into the bottomless pit. You'll never stop falling. It's like giving to a fire. It's going to always keep burning. It's going to always say, more, more, more. And so likewise with love, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a debt you're never going to pay. With your taxes, you can finish paying your taxes. With your custom, you can finish paying your custom or your revenue. With your honor, your leaders, you can honor your leaders and then kind of be done with it. When you pay a debt, you're done. When you perform your civil duty, you're done. When you put in your hours at work, you are done. But when it comes to love, you're never done. Your debt is never paid. Like just, just think about this. This is um, Valentine's Day, and um, you, you think about husbands and wives and loving one another, and and uh, men. Can you say this? I love my wife as much as I should. There's nothing more I need to do. My heart is right. I don't need to work at it any longer because I'm done. Right? Wives, that it's not going to work. Wives, you can't say the same thing about your husband. Well, I love my husband as as much as I should, and my I'm I'm just all done, right? There's nothing more that I need to do. I don't need to work at it anymore. I just love him to bunch. Right? That, I mean, that's how love works. It's like it's like never fulfilled. It's like never completed. You you never arrive there. We're never finished paying. The debt of love we owe. Husbands, listen. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Maybe when you die for your wife, then maybe you've loved to the uttermost. The same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. When you love your wife, as much as you love your own bodies, you're, you're there, but I don't, it's difficult to get there. You're never finished paying your debt of love to your, to your spouse. Parents, you're never finished paying your debt of love to your children. Can you say, well, I've loved my children as much as I should. There's nothing more I need to do. My heart is complete. I don't need to work out any longer. I'm done with my love for my kids. Is that how it works? That's not how it works children you're never finished paying your debt of your love to your brothers and sisters okay i love my brothers and sisters as much as i should I, i've loved them all that i need to uh there's nothing more i need to do i i'm i'm all right in this i am like i don't need to work at it any longer is that how it works you never finish paying your debt of love to your friends Can you say i've loved my friends as much as i should there's nothing more I need to do. I'm totally set. I just love my friends. You're never finished paying your debt of love to your enemies. Can you say I've loved my enemies as much as I should? It's nothing more I need to do. I don't need to work at it any longer. Of course not, right? It just it just rings hollow. And that's the idea, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Now again, your love for your enemy will di- look different than your love for your spouse. You're not going to live with your enemy. You're not going to go on vacation with the guy that you met at Home Depot, all right? You're just not, not going to do that. But you still owe them your love. So I'm just trying to think, how, what does love look like? I just, I just have a list here, maybe 20 things about how love might, might look. Love might even be as simple as courtesy in the checkout line. Just a kindness and a smile, an encouraging word, genuinely loving the, those people. <clears throat> it may mean expressing appreciation to your child's teacher. A phone call or note or an email just, just saying, I, I want to bless them, I want to help them, I want to doing to them as they would have doing to me. They're laboring hard. I want to encourage them. Maybe it means that. Maybe it means giving cookies at Christmas time to your neighbors. And the extent of your love, the extent of your time and resources, how how far neighbors go out. Love might be even meeting new neighbors who are four houses down, who you've not even seen hardly at all. Love might mean hosting a Christmas party. So you can come to know your neighbors. It may mean bringing a meal to those in need. It may mean taking a friend out for dinner. It may mean a cup of water to those in need. It, it may be maybe I'm just picturing a cup of water, right? You, maybe you're working at a marathon, and you're just loving and praying for those who are passing by, and you're giving them cups of nourishment as they run by on their race. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe it means showing interest in a conversation. You've ever been in a conversation with some person's talking and you're like, I'm so done with this conversation. I'm not interested in it. I got other things to do. And love might just continue to show interest in that. Love might be helping push a car out of a ditch. Might be love. Love might be... um, Shoveling a driveway, maybe. For a a neighbor, a close friend, maybe driving someplace and doing that. Uh, Love might mean an encouraging cheer at a basketball game. Love might mean some attendance at a performance that you don't really like to go to. Love might mean house sitting for a dog. Love might mean tough love. To prompt our prayer. Time this morning, just invite you to a prayer meeting. You're more than welcome to come. We'd had about 30 of us there today. I want 100, is what I would really like. I'd love for us to meet here. And uh, so we talked about, just to prompt our prayer, Proverbs three twelve, The Lord reproves those he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Love might be reproving someone else. Von and I were talking about this text last night and she said, well, does it just mean that we just need to be a doormat to everybody? No, love might mean rebuking someone. Because it's the way you love. Love might mean a father disciplining a son. It might mean a boss disciplining an employee. That might be love. Tough love. Saying the hard things. Love might be evangelism and preaching the gospel to somebody. Even if they reject it. Still preaching it. right? Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth. And yet genuinely loving the people on the backside. That's what it might mean. It might mean tough love. It might mean enduring the difficulties people have, the way they, they grate on your nerves, because love bears all things. It might mean making excuses for somebody because they have, they have failed you in some way, and so you make an excuse of why it is that they have failed you, because love believes all things. It, it may mean really believing in someone and really pressing on because you, you hope all things for them, giving them opportunity. And love endures all things. I mean, it just continues to go through the years of trial and hardship. Love might look like that. Um, For moms, love might mean making dinner. For dads, this might mean cleaning their rooms and picking up their socks. For children, it might mean cleaning your room (laughs) for your mom and dad. It might mean giving honor. I, I don't think that giving honor is outside the realm of love. I think you can love in giving honor. I mean, there's a list. It can go on and on and on and on. And, and I'm, just, I'm just throwing out suggestions of how love might be, how you can love a stranger, how you can love an enemy, how you can love an intimate friend or a family member all different types of ways in which to show love. But love is our moral obligation. It is what God calls us to do. We are all in debt to one another, to love one another. Well, secondly, not only is love our moral obligation, but love is also fulfilling the law. We get that? Second half of verse 8, 9 and 10. Let's just read again. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And I trust you can see again where I get this fulfilling of the law. Right? say love is fulfilling the law because he says it twice. He says it at the end of verse 8. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. He says in verse 10, therefore, love is fulfilling the law. And you notice both of those are reasons. Right? Verse 8 is the reason. It says, oh, no one do anything except to love one another. For, that is, because the one who loves has fulfilled the law. This is what we are called to do. We are called to, to moral obligation to love because love fulfills the law. And then finally in verse 10, it's a, it's a conclusion of these things. In, in 9 and 10, he begins to explain about, about all these different commandments and how they work and interact. They're summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, since they're summed up in love, love fulfills the law. Paul shows this by, by putting forth a few of the Ten Commandments in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And the other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he began by, by stating a few of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the commandment not to commit adultery. What commandment number is that? Do not commit adultery. How many of you know? What is it, Thatcher? Seven. You're exactly right. Okay, how about the, how about the next one? You shall not murder. What is that one? Six. Good. Okay, how about the next one? You shall not steal. Yes. Eight, good, and the last one, you shall not covet, is number, you already answered, you already answered, yeah, way in the back, Kaya, or Trey, you shall not covet, close, ten, good, whoever said it over here, it's ten, you shall not covet, seven, nine, eight, and ten, in that order, you might be thinking, well, why do you skip nine, what's nine again, do not, do not lie, good. Do not lie. By the way, if you don't know these, sing with me. Do not worship any other gods. Do not make any idols. Do not misuse the name of God. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet anything. <laughs> so right there. There they are. We sing that in kids club. So these kids have all been involved in kids club. And they know the Ten Commandments. You, you ought to know the Ten Commandments. You ought to know them. Be able to go. But, but here, you, if you knew, they just kind of the last half, and they, they missed number nine. Um, didn't even cover the, the first half. Paul did. But there is this little phrase, and any other commandment is summed up in this word. So, not just the Ten Commandments, all the commandments in the law, right? Any sort of moral commandment. You can always sum it up in terms of this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, you can sum up the, the second half of the Ten Commandments with that. The first half of the Ten Commandments are, you shall love the Lord your God with all your strength, Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why you don't worship any other gods. Don't make any idols, because two are too many. And do not misuse the name of God. That's all, all Him, directed towards Him, and keeping the Sabbath holy, which is kind of a, a worship of Him, but it's also good for yourself. Helpful. But anyway, any any sort of horizontal command that there is, is summed up. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting that last command isn't from any of the Ten Commandments. It comes from Leviticus 19.18. Paul quotes it here because it does a great job of boiling down the second half of the Ten Commandments, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the reasoning is simple, right? We don't, we aren't to commit adultery because we love our own marriages. We wouldn't want someone to come in and destroy our own marriage, therefore we're going to do to our neighbors what we would have them do unto me. I love my neighbors, I love myself. I don't want you destroying my marriage, so I'm not going to destroy your marriage. Uh, we're not going to murder because we're not to murder because we want to live, right? And and we don't want someone to come in and and shoot us because we want to live. Therefore, we won't do that with anyone else. In fact, Jesus even calls us not even get angry. We don't like people getting angry at us and calling us names, so we won't get angry and call each other names is the idea. We won't steal because we like our property. We don't want someone to come in and, and break into our house and take our property. And so likewise, we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. If that's what I don't want, then I'm going to do that to them as well. And coveting is, is similar. It's like similar to stealing, right? We, we like what is ours, and what ours is ours. And we don't want others to be tempted to come and take what is ours. So therefore, we ought not to covet and want lest we take and steal someone else. And that's why Paul sums it up. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul here is plagiarizing, right? Who's he plagiarizing jesus maybe jesus said this on many occasions near the end of the sermon on the mount he said whatever you wish others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets and we call that the golden rule maybe different words but do unto others you would have them do unto you that's loving your neighbor as you love yourself it's what jesus taught it's the high call of how to live a righteous life in the sight of god And Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, this is the law and the prophets. Loving your neighbor as yourself is the law and the prophets, is the exhortation to how God calls us to live. But this wasn't the only time that Jesus said that. In Matthew 22, you can read the story about an expert in law who came to test him, trick him up. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And I think he's trying to trick him by saying, okay, you got 10 of them, which one are you going to pick? And Jesus doesn't pick any of them, but picks two of them. And they're from Deuteronomy, and they're from Leviticus. The first is, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And this is a great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Loving God, loving your neighbor. It's where it all depends, where it's all summed up, is right there. It's real, real simple. The standard for loving God is Deuteronomy 6, loving God with everything you have. And then the standard for loving men is loving like you would love yourself. And as you do this, you fulfill the law. That is, you walk in step with the law, you, you do what the law says. That wasn't the only time Jesus mentioned this. He brought this in also with the idea of loving your neighbor. It's a good representation of the whole law with a rich young ruler. And maybe you remember the story. He's an up and coming man in the community. He's got wealth. He's got influence. He's got promise. He's got a future ahead of him. And he was troubled in his heart. And he came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What do I need to have to have eternal life? What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said this, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, on any bible college test that would get an f <laughs> right what do i do need to inherit eternal life keep the commandments and eh, wrong answer right what do you do to get eternal life tell me people what do you do you believe in the lord jesus christ right you believe but he's putting this out there he's just saying okay well keep everything he's trying to convict this man of sin was the idea and the guy said which ones and jesus says Again, very similar to what Paul says. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, he puts a standard there of perfect righteousness. You want to get into heaven? You want to have eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. What commandments? Well, love everyone like you would love yourself. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa. I've not done that. So, Jesus' answer was true in one sense. It's like the path that's supposed to get there but never really can or or does. And the rich young ruler didn't realize how far below the standard he fell. He said, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? What an amazing statement. I've kept them all. And so Jesus said, okay, let's just see. Have you fully paid your debt of love? to all those around you let's just see he says if you would be perfect go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me basically you want to you want to show let's just test this right just give everything away follow me and then you pursue other people Lo- love your neighbor enough that you give away all to go out and to reach them but when the young man heard this he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions there was an the eternal life set before him. Jesus says, Forsake all, follow me, keep the commandments. And he, he was sorrowful. He he should have repented, and just said, Christ, I can't do that. I need help. Jesus was said, Well, welcome to the club. Why don't you come? I'm your savior. I will I will help you. He didn't get the eternal life that he was seeking because he didn't meet the conditions that God requires, fulfilling the laws, perfect love. In fact, That's why Paul said in our text this morning that love fulfills the law. Like like love will be the thing that that fills it all up, that that completes it. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's It's a tricky phrase there, what it means to fulfill the law. It's the same thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That is, I have come to complete them. And, and in Matthew's context, I mean, you can look at it prophetically, where Jesus came to fulfill everything the prophets prophesied about him. Jesus was born of a, a virgin in Bethlehem so as to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. Matthew says that really clearly. Right? This happened so as to fulfill what was spoken by the, the prophets. So that's a prophetic fulfillment. And in some regards, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill them That's one regard in how he did it. It's certainly true, but that's not how Paul used it in Romans 13. I think it's a nuance of what Jesus was referring to in in, uh, Matthew chapter 5 when he speaks about, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to complete it. I've come to live morally. Jesus came to live the law fully. He came to love far and wide. He came to love deeply. You know the song right deep and wide deep and wide there's a fountain flowing deep and wide that's the idea here right he loved widely and he loved deeply it's exactly what jesus did when he loved us he gave himself up for us and fully fulfilled the law on our behalf it says he loved his disciples to the end he loved them perfectly john 13 verse 1 and if we want to be right with God, we simply need to do what Jesus did. Fulfill the law completely by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, and, and I think that's it's well nigh impossible. It's what we should do. It's, it's very difficult. And Jesus told of a story which ought to convict us of how we lack. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. I, I trust you know it. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put him to the test, saying, Teacher! what shall I do to inherit eternal life? <coughs> and Jesus said, what's it written in the law? How do you read it? And he'd probably been around, heard Jesus, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Go do this and live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus was like, Aha, ha-ha. Let's talk about who your neighbor is. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's like It's down this big hill, I'm not sure, maybe 4,000 feet descent. It's a, it's a common place where robbers were. It's no accident that he fell among robbers there, the long strip of road, lots of crags you could hide in. And these robbers stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and we saw it, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Think about who the priests and Levites are. These are like your religious, righteous people who are keeping the law. And Jesus says, basically, they they want nothing to do with this. They want to go do the religious ritual. But a Samaritan, this half-breed, despised person, who wasn't righteous according to the law, who was an outsider, couldn't even come into the Holy of Holies, couldn't even come into the Holy Court, As he journeyed on, he came to where he was, and we saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Going into debt, perhaps. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. I mean, if you're anything like me, you can just think of many opportunities you've had where you've been the priest, you've been the Levite, seeing someone by the side of the road and you've not stopped. And I think that's the point is that we often will just go right on past. But, But there's the extent we have a moral obligation to love. And when you hear this, right, it ought to send shivers down your spine that is far beyond what I can do, and I've, I've failed so much. And the point is, exactly, exactly, right? The the law to tell us to love our neighbor as herself isn't a way to fulfill to get righteous. It is the way to demonstrate and show our love to God. For having received righteousness, Romans three twenty says through the law comes a knowledge of sin, and perhaps even this morning, as you're thinking about genuine Christian love and how you failed in that, that's it's a good place to be, because the law, our moral obligation, our debt we owe, shows us our need for Jesus. But that's what Romans thirteen is: it's a debt we can never pay. We, we can never fully love. But, but think about Romans 13, verse 8 in context now, right? Paul is not saying you need to do this to live. He's saying this is how we ought to live. Remember Romans 1 through 11? You remember that, right? You remember these words, right? It begins with sin, right? How, how we are, are dead in our sins, how all of us, there's none of us who's righteous, not even one how we're sinners, but yet, chapters four, 3 and through 5, God gives us salvation by His grace through Jesus Christ by believing in Him. Yes, though we're sinners, He saved us by His grace, and that transforms how we live, chapters 6 and 7. So we've gone through that, the sanctification, how He, how he changes us and molds us to walk us in, in the image of Christ. We, we walk in that way. And then chapter 7, just a real reality with that, that that things are hard, and there's a struggle. But the struggle is the reality. Then chapter 8, there's no condemnation. We're secure in His, in his uh, love. We're secure in His works for us. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then chapters 9 through 11 just show His sovereignty, exerting His sovereign will, carrying us into the end. And now we're in this section that's the, the service section. And I, I don't know what all those, all those words are up there, by the way, here. We'll We're in the service section here. Just, Just how it is that we should respond. How it is that we should live. And Paul, in Romans 12, says this is all response. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, in light of all the mercy that God has shown you. The sinner though you be, He saved you, and He's sanctifying you, and changing you, and giving security, and exerting His sovereignty over your life how you should serve, how you should walk in those ways. we spent many, many weeks in Romans 12, how it is that we should serve. One way, love. Chapter 12 and verse 9, loving with a brotherly affection. I was just kind of coming back to that. Love is what it's about, and love here is fulfilling the law. Right? In other words, when you do love, you are walking in obedience to the law. And that's simply what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to the deepest love imaginable, this this love that has a debt that you will never be able to pay. So we need to see Romans twelve, Romans thirteen, verses eight through ten as, as response. And he's calling us to love deeply. And so I just ask Are you loving deeply? Are you thinking about ways that you can show love towards others? Not to gain anything, but merely to say, if that's God's delight, and that's his heart, and if he wants me to love, I've been saved to love, and that's what I'll do. Uh, Ryan mentioned earlier, we love because he first loved us. And this is, he's loved us first, and so does we turn and we love. So do you have a a genuine Christian love? It's really my, my question for you this day. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would stir within us a heart and a passion to love and serve others. God, where hearts are, are convicted, I, I pray you would do two things. God, first, show the love of Christ in that heart. God, that would strengthen and encourage. God, that, that would realize that we aren't in condemnation when we, when we fail in our love. And so I pray that where conviction has come, may Christ come stronger. Father, but I pray also, God, that you would strengthen that soul that's convicted in its lack of love with God's love that is, is poured out. It says in Romans 5, 5, that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And I pray that that love that's in our hearts, God, may then flow out in love towards others. And I pray that that would be a symbol of all of us. That when people look at uh, the people of Rock Valley Bible Church that they would say, well, there, there are people that love. They, they love each other and they have loved me. And I see them loving other people and serving. God, may that be our testimony. God, not, not because we are such great, strong people, but because you've changed us and transformed us. To respond to your mercies, God, by loving others with a thoroughly Christian love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.